There are many more majestic views than this. I'm looking up at the Coolins, and it's a dour November day, and the clouds are just tipping over the top of the mountains. There's snow up there, but not down here. And it's reminding me why I love the Isle of Skye and why I've come here on many occasions to escape from the world and to experience the genuine rugged power of nature. I love to come here in the winter when you can have violent storms one day and then bright sunshine when you can have snowfall and when you're never far away from the sea. We've come here at this particular time for a particular reason, because all around us is happening the Shawl Festival of Small Halls. And what does that mean? It means effectively that some of Scotland's top traditional musicians come together to form a kind of folk supergroup, and they tour around the little village halls in the different communities on Skye over a two-week period. Uh, and you'll recognise some of the names. Duncan Chisholm, who we walked with to Sandwood Bay on Folk on Foot. Donald Shaw, one of the big names from Capacaley and a big mover and shaker in the Scottish folk scene. Sue R. Lee, the cellist. Jarlath Henderson, the pipe player. Rachel Newton, the harpist and singer, to name but a few. And they all come together, they rehearse for a couple of days and then they set off on this odyssey around the island bringing what they call big music to small halls. come right over to the west of Skye now to the little community of Glendale. There's great excitement here because in the community hall behind me is going to be one of the concerts of this festival of, of small halls with Duncan Chisholm, with Donald Shaw, with Innes Watson, with Sue Ali on the cello and I can see some cups of tea being served inside. So let's go inside and see what's happening. Thank you. Hi there. We are recording, yes. Recording an episode of Folk on Foot. Oh, of course. <laughs> I thought you were going, we were walking up a mountain to do that. Oh, no, we walk up mountains as well. <laughs> we're doing a bit here as well. Lovely to see you.
So it's the interval, and it's always a good time in an interval to catch up with an old friend of Folk on Foot. Here's Duncan Chisholm. How wonderful um, to see you, Duncan. Oh, wonderful to see I you. I have seen you since Sandwood. I know, and now we're in the West Highlands again. <laughs> exactly. In just, just tell us a little bit about what this festival means to you. Well, it's a multitude of things it means to me. It means that we get to wonderful small communities and small community halls like Glendale here. There's nine of us here creating new music and new arrangements to old tunes and all of that. Having are you a great all old time. friends or, or are you, have you ever played with, with each other before? There's, there's a few people I haven't never played with before, um, and it, but we're all friends. So it's a very small community in the traditional scene in Scotland. It's very small, so we all know each other. But it's great to get the opportunity to do this in such a beautiful place and over a, a couple of weeks. It's very intensive. It's good. And is this the smallest place that you do or are there smaller halls than oh, this? Oh, there's smaller. We, we were here last year and a lot of the halls like Breakish Hall um, Braes, they maybe hold about 50 people or something but the, it's, the wonderful thing about it is the community really gets behind it so any visitor that comes in to the, the Small Halls Festival gets not only the music but also the feeling, the sense, that sense of community and uh, warmth Done any walking recently? Lots of walking, yes um, not to Sandwood, I haven't been but to Sandwood since that wonderful day in March um, that I enjoyed so much but I've done some walking today we're staying at Sligacan Hotel and you can go out the back you can go straight to the foot of the Red Coolins yeah absolutely wonderful scenery um, Sky is just amazing it's such a big island I mean I've been coming to Sky for 30, 40 years and I'm still going to places that I've never been before so it's wonderful It's great to see you again let's, we'll let you get back on stage Thank you very, Thank you very much. much Duncan Cheers. Thank you to be back in the old inn in Carbost again and uh, lovely to be here playing some music for you all. I hope you can all hear us at least the first half of the room and uh, we've got Rachel Newton here on the harp hey. and then this is Jarlis Henderson on the pipes and the whistles and we've got Megan Henderson on the fiddle and, and singing as well. And over here on the keys, we've got Hamish Napier.
What an extraordinary occasion that was at the old inn at Carbost. Uh, we all crammed into the pub to hear these amazing musicians, and you probably could hear there in the mix the sound of the harp played by Rachel Newton. And it's Rachel we're going to focus on in this episode of Folk on Foot, one of the new generation of interpreters of the Scottish tradition, a harpist, a fiddle player, a viola player, also a collaborator. She's in the band The She, The Furrow Collective, and she was part of the Lost Words Spell Songs project, which we featured in another episode of Folk on Foot. And we're going to go for a walk with Rachel in one of the best-known parts of this island. Let's go and meet her. Rachel, good morning. Good morning. Here we are in Glen Brittle on the Isle of Skye on a November morning, and this is a spectacular spot. It's breathtaking. The, it's the mountains go up all round us with snow on the top, and the snow's kind of crisscrossed by the gaps in the rock. Yeah, the patterns are beautiful. They really are. And we're at the Fairy Pools, which is a famous spot on, on the Isle of Skye where people go swimming in the water. How are you feeling? Um, I'm not 100%. percent <laughs> <you. laughs> <laughs> go. go And the great thing is that you've brought your harp. I have. I've brought my harp with me, yes. Uh, it's a smallish harp. I mean, I was yes. thinking that maybe it would be like a concert harp and we'd need a pantechnican <laughs> it to get it here. <laughs> yeah. But what, what, what is, which instrument have you brought? So I've got my acoustic harp today. I've got an electric harp and an acoustic harp. And uh, so, yeah, this is my acoustic. I've had it for a very long time. And the Gaelic name for it is a clarsach. Traditionally, the clarsach would be wire-strung and played with the fingernails, but it kind of, when it sort of made a bit of a comeback in, in the early 20th century, it kind of came back as a bit of a hybrid of the concert harp. So it's gut-strung now, or nylon-strung, and played with the pads of the fingers. But it has levers to change the key instead of pedals, and that's what makes it different to a pedal harp. What made you take up the harp in the first place? I'm afraid it's not a very romantic story. I went to a Gaelic-speaking school, and in Edinburgh at the time, all of the schools had free tuition in, in instruments, and it was a different instrument for each school. And because I went to the Gaelic school, it was the the clarsach was the the instrument. So they were just there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but did you realise then that you were setting yourself up for a lifetime of carrying really heavy things <laughs> <No>. in really <laughs> difficult circumstances? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't. I didn't quite anticipate that. I don't think. Okay. Are you happy to carry the harp a little bit down yeah, the track? Yeah, absolutely. No bother. Shall we? Shall we move on down? Let's see. So tell me more about your education. Was it unusual to go to a Gaelic school in, in Edinburgh at that time? Yeah, it was. I mean, I think I didn't really appreciate how how lucky and how unique my experience was, really, um, at school. Because, you know, growing up in a kind of inner-city school, which was really multicultural, but then we also had this unit within the school of kind of the kids that spoke Gaelic and a lot of their parents were from the Highlands and Islands and, and were, you know, we're all very close. So it's kind of like being in a little village school. You know, there's only six people in my year and things like that, but we were also had this really multicultural experience and the school was great and, you know, we sang sort of Bob Dylan and Joni Mitchell songs in assembly and <laughs> things like that, but we also had the Gaelic choirs and, you know, so it was really, really unusual. That's surprising. And were your parents Gaelic speakers? Well, my dad's from near Edinburgh um, and my mum's from a place called Achnaherd up near Achildebui in Western Ross. And her parents were both sort of native Gaelic speakers, so that was their first language. 
but they didn't speak Gaelic to their kids. And that was quite common, I think, especially from the mainland at that time. So yeah, so she she was the eldest of six, so she understood everything because they spoke Gaelic to each other, just not to the kids. Right. So she understands Gaelic completely and can speak it, but she just she doesn't really have the confidence to speak it really. So yeah, that was partly the reason that they sent me to to the Gaelic school, and also I think they just liked the idea of you know being bilingual and the kind of benefits that that brings. And, and were they musical, your parents? Um. Appreciators of music, I would say. <laughs> yeah, my my mum's sort of family, like her brothers, all play, but she she was more of a reader than a player. But she actually set up the Fache in Edinburgh. Fache is kind of the Gaelic for festival, and I grew up going to the Fache in uh, in Rosher, in Ullapool and Gearloch with my cousins, and and I had such a positive experience there. Yeah, my mum ended up setting one up in Edinburgh. Right. Which was great. So it was a bringing together of musicians? Yeah, it's like a sort of summer school, but, you know, that sort of idea. So you'd go there for the week, it was residential, and you'd just hang out with your friends, going to get to know other young people and just play music and learn from, you know, fantastic musicians. So and, and so what sort of repertoire were you learning when you were starting out? Well, at the Fache I would be learning tunes, you know, traditional tunes or tunes that you know, the tutors had written. Uh, in school, I was learning lots of Gaelic songs from, you know, from nursery school, really, because th- that's what we were doing. We were singing all the time. We've come, we've come up on a rock. I know, it looks absolutely perfect. Is it inviting? <laughs> Would you like to sit on it and play the harp? Yes, yeah. <laughs> this is the most fairy-like I've ever felt. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would be fantastic. Let, yeah. let's, let's get it let's out of the case. It, yeah. yeah. Is that comfortable or not? Yeah, just, it looks, I think <laughs> it's looks, all about the place. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Stunning. It is quite an extraordinary backdrop. It is backdrop amazing. In the, the bowl of the mountains behind and the, the river coming down and uh, <laughs> the landscape sort of unfolds around us. What a great place. What are you going to play? I think I'll start off with an instrumental. It's actually a tune called Sky Air. And it, Perfect. Yeah, I thought it was appropriate. <laughs> uh, so it was collected, it's in the, this fantastic collection called the Patrick MacDonald Collection, which um, was sort of, I think it's from the 1700s. Uh, and he went around Sky kind of collecting sort of song melodies and pipe tune melodies. And I always say it's, it's kind of nice because a lot of collections, they kind of try and tidy up the tunes and make them sound kind of, I don't know, more than what we'd be used to, kind of... Um, the right amount of bars and things in the cl- sort of classical term, uh, right in inverted commas. Uh, but this, they kind of keep it weird, <laughs> which I like. So it kind of goes off on tangents you don't expect. Uh, and it's just a beautiful melody. You mentioned your grandparents. Yeah. Just tell us a bit more about where they live. I suppose that was another thing I was very lucky when I was growing up because I kind of had this dual life where I, I sort of was growing up in Edinburgh in the city um, and then every single school holiday that I had I would go up to Achenherd where my grandparents lived and where I had three sets of aunties and uncles all, all around this tiny little sort of township of Achenherd.
if you come up to Ullapool and you, you keep going north as if you're going to Loch Inver and then you turn off onto a single track road for about, oh, I don't know how many miles, you kind of feel like you're going to the ends of the earth, really. <laughs> it's definitely not somewhere that you pass through. <laughs> but yeah, if you kind of go towards Achildebui, the Summer Isles, the area is called Coigach, uh, and Coig is, is five in Gaelic, so it's sort of five, I think, townships, I suppose. And Achnaherd is one, so instead of going left to Achildebui, you go right to Achnaherd, and there's a stunning beach there, really, really beautiful beach. And it looks onto the mountains, Stackpolly, Sullivan, you know, of the sort of Ascent Mountains as well. And uh, yeah. Is it a landscape that's reminiscent of the one we're in now, the drama very, that we're seeing here? Very similar, very dramatic. And, you know, it's a view that I suppose they feel like old friends. You know? <laughs> uh, those mountains, it's just such a kind of familiar view. Quite a few of my cousins play, a lot of them play the bagpipes, <laughs> and my cousin Myred Green is a well-known accordion player and piper, uh, and there was always a lot of music kind of coming in and out of that house sort of growing up, especially Hogmanay was a big one. I used to kind a bit of, of a party. Yeah, it used to go on for, you know, three days sort of all around the clock. And you went back there to record your album, West, I did, yeah, yeah. Why did you do that? I've done a few solo albums and it was my fourth solo album and when I came to do it I decided that I wanted to I wanted to make it a solo solo album you know in the sense that it was really just me and the harps you know quite often you have solo albums and there's about 100 guests on them <laughs> which is lovely and really good fun as well but um but I just thought it would be nice to just kind of do something that was really stripped back because I was doing quite a lot of solo gigs at the time so people were asking me you know have you got anything that's just you and you know so uh, I thought oh, that'd be a nice thing to do and I, I suppose I just felt like it would be nice just to make sense of, of it for me. It would be nice to do such an album in, in a place that was kind of felt quite a personal meaning to me. And the house, my, my granny and grandpa's house, it's, it's got a wee extension uh, they did, that they did in the 70s. I mean, I don't know how they did it. There were six kids and they did B&B &B and they only had about two bedrooms or something at the time, but they had this little extension. And my mum and dad actually stay there in the wintertime now. And the main bit of the house is kind of uh, self-catering. My uncle's got it. So it's quite sort of, it's changed a bit. You know, I, I kind of wanted it to stay exactly the same. <laughs> but of I'm course guessing it it's not big. It's not a big house. No. no, it's not a big house. And I think I just felt like just while I had the opportunity, it would just be really nice to, to make music in that space that had meant so much to me growing up and had such an impact on me, I suppose. And Matty Foles, who's recorded all of my albums, you know, I've recorded in his studio before, he came up and set Brought up... the studio with him. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, so we just, we just sort of spent this amazing week there and it was a stunning really sunny which doesn't <laughs> isn't not always the case <laughs> um, and the mountains just looked stunning and we would what we would do is we would stand kind of outside for a bit you know have a cup of tea or whatever and then just go in and, and record you know everything was just so informed by by the, the space and, and actually, how did you pick the music that you recorded i picked some songs that i really liked it didn't all have to be I was making up my own rules. I didn't, so I decided it didn't have to all be kind of connected to the, that place specifically, uh, but just songs that, some songs that I'd, uh, like Sky Air actually, that I've been playing at gigs for years and just never kind of found a place for before. So things that had a bit more space, I suppose. Would you sing one of the songs from the album for us now? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I'll sing you a token. So this is actually, like I say, it wasn't, they were all kind of, weren't all necessarily the place, but this is actually a song from... America, it's from the Ozark Mountains, but I suppose, yeah, it's a place that I've never been, but I kind of imagine that I might feel an affinity with it.
or nowhere can harm me now. Let the breath that blows in on me for to cool my fever grow. Death will soon relieve my sorrow. Soon will cease this ache and Very sad. Yes, yeah, that's quite a weepy one. <laughs> but it could, I mean, it could, it, stylistically, it, it could have come from Scotland, couldn't oh, it? yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of these songs did, you know, originally. And, yeah, there's definitely an, an affinity there, I think, with, with the music of, like, South America, uh, South of America, North America. And, uh, yeah, there's a, a huge country country and western appreciation in the highlands and islands yeah, and i wonder i always here, wonder yeah, yeah i always wonder if it's because of that kind of that link that was made all those years ago and a lot of scots went to america and, <laughs> exactly, and, and, and yeah. to canada and so on didn't yeah, they yeah yeah and and you know a lot of these songs went over and of course you know the language the gaelic language went over and i not that long ago was at a fe the festival uh, Celtic Colours over in Cape Breton in Canada in Nova Scotia and it was incredible just to go and I was I went to a kind of a Gaelic song night there and was singing Gaelic songs with with people there and it was amazing I even felt like I recognised people there the faces were familiar to people that I knew from the Highlands which and Islands which was just incredible well and you've reflected the country and western vibe on your on your album by doing <laughs> yeah. Jolene the Dolly Parton song yeah because again I'd always sort of done Jolene sort of you know just for the crack really at, at gigs and things and uh, 
one of my uncles while I was up there recording. It was no plan whatsoever to put it on the album at all. You know, he came in, he's the postman up there, and he came in one day and he said, I hope you're putting Jolene on the album. And I thought, well, if, if my Uncle Ali wants me to do it, then I'll do it. <laughs> so, <laughs> So we're here at the fairy pools on Sky, and fairy and that kind of folklore have been part of your music as well, haven't they? Because you did an album called Changeling. I did, yeah. And it, Changeling started off as a New Voices commission for Celtic Connections. The festival, they do this fantastic series, New Voices, and um, it's sort of people get a, an opportunity to compose for you know for a group of musicians and then it's performed they're performed at Celtic Connections you kind of have a theme you need to have a theme for these things and and I was looking thinking of a theme and uh, listen to the waterfall oh wow So you're saying you have to have a theme and and changeling was the theme was it yeah and um, I've been working a lot with well with my friend and colleague Emily Portman her and I have always had a shared interest in the kind of otherworldly kind of stories that, that come along with folk music and traditional ballads and traditional songs. And we've had many conversations over the years about how, I suppose, these stories that people, and beliefs, you know, that people had, really firm, solid beliefs about fairies and things like that, were often kind of to explain the unexplainable in people's lives, you know, and things that were just happening to, to people. and 
and they, they had these beautiful poetic explanations in the form of things like the fairies, you know, the fairies were at fault and things like that. So the, the idea of the changeling, the baby that was replaced, you know, that was stolen away by the fairies and they replaced that baby with their own little changeling, you know, I just Where does that, that story come from? Where did you hear it first? Well, gosh, I mean, it's one of those things, I think, with a lot of things for me, I think, and, and I suppose that's maybe... It makes me realise how lucky I am. I, there, all these things have just all, always been there. You know? <laughs> it, it's sort of just always heard about the changelings. From and where do you think people. the changeling idea comes from? Is it to do with people explaining away the different characters in their family? Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, and I wondered whether maybe, you know, if, if a baby was born with special needs or something like that, it might be a, a way of explaining something like that. You know, and um, also there was uh, there's a song that I did in the Changeling album, The Queen of Elfin's Nurse which is a ballad, and that one was actually about the mother being stolen away. So the mother was stolen away for a time after she had the baby, and it was thought that her breast milk was good for the fairies, so the fairies took her away. And we were wondering whether that might be something, you know, an explanation for maybe postnatal depression or something like that. You know, these sorts, all these sorts of life things that happen to people, it kind of, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense that people would have these kind of ideas about it. Would you sing as a fairy song? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, this actually made it onto, it snuck onto the Changeling album, although it's not technically about changelings. It's a song called A Furex of Fewer, and uh, Pure is the Gaelic for her sister, and it's actually the woman singing to her sister, saying that she's trapped on the Isle of Barra. So she's trapped by the fairies, and she's telling her sister about it. So I thought that might be a good one to do in the fairy pools. Oh, 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 oh,
I, I just realised how appropriate that was because the woman in the song, she's talking about being trapped on this fairy hill and she actually talks about the sound of the water of the mountain running down the mountain. <laughs> so uh, yeah, just suddenly as I was singing it, I was thinking, that's exactly what's happening here. It's a perfect folk comfort moment. <laughs> yeah, a perfect yeah, I didn't even moment. think about it until I was singing it. <laughs> that was beautiful. Oh, thank thank you. you. Thanks very much. Cross over these stepping stones because oh, wow. that yeah. might be a bit tricky. Slippery. Uh, so the reason we're here, Rachel, is because you're taking part in this small halls festival. Yeah. What does that feel like? It's brilliant. It's just so much fun, and you know, playing in these small, the small halls, um, the village uh, halls, <laughs> the village halls. You know. It's so lovely, and that's like that's kind of the way that I started, really. You know, my first gig was with the Ackleby Cayley Band and the <laughs> in, or the Coiga Cayley Band in the, in Ackleby Village Hall when I was probably about six or something. So, <laughs> so um, yeah. So and, and I still, it's one of my favourite kinds of gigs to do is is in a village hall as acoustic as possible and and I wonder if there's a bit of a party amongst the musicians you know every evening do they oh no everyone's straight to bed at, oh, they all go to bed about 9 30. yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no we've had a few a few fun nights already and uh, but it's kind of it's a marathon not a sprint so I'm kind of trying to pace myself <laughs> <laughs> I'm interested in how the touring life works for you because it can be quite dislocating to spend you know your, your life on the road and and not feel that anywhere is really home. Is that a feeling that you have? Definitely, yeah. Um, especially, yeah, in the last few years, I've felt it more and more, because I play in quite a few different bands, so I kind of, I'm usually on tour with one one or another. <laughs> <laughs> and it has felt, yeah, it has felt quite kind of like, you know, if you if you don't work in a particular place, then you can kind of live anywhere, which is a lovely thing in one way, but it, it does kind of make you, you really kind of have to, make that conscious decision to kind of place yourself somewhere and, and try and bed into the community but it's very difficult when you're away so much you know you mentioned the other bands that you're involved with and i saw you in the she at king's place in london as part of their venus unwrapped yeah, season when yeah. you co-curated a, a weekend of music about women in in I folk did, yeah yeah are, are you worried that there aren't enough women getting prominence in the traditional scene it kind of all began a few years ago where i i kind of flagged up a couple of things actually on social media, there was one incident with the She where we were told by a festival booker that he already had his girl band for that year and wouldn't be booking us. No, and I then, should imagine you were really angry, <laughs> weren't you? Well, kind of, I mean, I think that in a way the thing was that I, I was kind of not surprised, you know, but I did kind of, I went online and sort of said, you know, we've just had this, isn't it ridiculous that, you know, it's still kind of a bit of a novelty to have an all-female act. And people kind of like oh name and shame you know get kind of really angry and, and I was like well it's not about that particular festival it's about the kind of wider situation that kind of sparked my thinking and sort of starting to think more and more about it and just noticing more and more you know if I was at a festival how few women there were on the stage it was kind of often if there was a woman a kind of female act it would be a woman at the front singing and then a whole band of men you know so why do you think that imbalance happens it's a difficult question to answer. There's loads and loads of different reasons. I think the main one is just that it is going to take a bit of time for women to, to be equal in general. But also, I think in, within music, you know, there's the, music has its own particular kind of issues, I suppose. I think the environment that we're often in in the music scene with the kind of late nights, drinking and all these things, and it's not always kind of conducive to equality. And, and when you talk to other women of your generation who are 
now in the folk scene, what would they like to see change to make their lives better and to make their careers work better? I think the overriding thing is this general attitude that is sometimes it's really difficult to explain it and that's why I always get tied up in knots trying to talk about it because it's quite difficult to really put your finger on exactly what it is but it can be quite a kind of I suppose a kind of amalgamation of lots of little things that kind of become a big thing you know like quite often you just almost expect to be underestimated like with the she we often had people sort of you know maybe like the sound engineer or whatever be like oh you guys actually like you know, your music's really got balls. <laughs> and then we'd often be like, yeah, well, we don't have balls, actually. <laughs> um, but, yeah, and, and, it's a patronising comment. Slightly, yeah, and, and just co- yeah, comments, small comments that, that all add up. And you just come up against it a lot. And even, even from people who probably do know better, but it's just almost just so inbuilt in, in us. But you... just by raising the issue, there's a chance you might change the attitude just for unthinking men who might be sitting yeah. around with their unthinking prejudices you at least make them think twice yeah and I think sometimes with traditional music and folk music people kind of put it in a box on its own and it's like you can't criticise this music because it's so we need to cherish it and we need to, to nourish it and protect it and I, I suppose my argument would be that we actually we need to treat it the same as any other music if we're going to kind of push it forward and and, and we need to ask the same questions as, as other music scenes would be asking. You know, I think people quite often say, oh, well, it doesn't apply to, that doesn't apply to our scene. There's no problems here, but it's kind of like, well, if there's a problem in every other walk of life, then surely, <laughs> you know, surely there is yeah. with us. And I think it's made me kind of think wider as well, just not just about women in music, but also, you know, things like, I think class is a big issue. You know, it's a very, very middle class sport <laughs> uh, folk music and and also just trying just looking out I always think it's an interesting thing of you know this sort of a term of world music and folk music and I don't know I just feel like we could it could be a little bit more multicultural as well yeah and more accessible to, to a lot of different different people so that's kind of probably my next, <laughs> next <laughs> that's your next challenge yeah. <laughs> you'd like to take things on the um, acoustic harp with us yes when you have the electric harp how does that change the music that you can make I initially got the electric harp when I was playing with the she because there's six of us and you wanted um, to get heard <laughs> yeah, pretty much <laughs> exactly and because we've got quite an unusual lineup in that band we don't have a guitarist uh, we don't have a bass player I kind of ended up taking the role pretty much of, of the bass player because that electric harp has got such a great bass, a really sort of powerful bass on it. That really, really informed the way that I play now. I'm much more about riffs and bass lines than I am about chords. <laughs> and, it, and you have to play it quite differently because it's so resonant and it, and the notes just kind of keep getting louder. <laughs> on the acoustic harp they die out eventually, but on the electric they just keep going. So you've got to really dampen the string and it's much better if you do that in a rhythmic way and then that can inform the rhythm. So that kind of became a whole new way of playing and I think actually I play the acoustic harp more like that now as well which is quite interesting you know it's kind of just uh, but I do treat them as quite different instruments
So it's quite an attraction here, isn't it? There are quite a lot of people about yeah, today. it's quite busy, isn't it? Yeah, so we know that it's a place that a lot of tourists come to on Sky. And I don't think there is actually any fairy folklore. No, no. I, I don't think there's any sort of traditional kind of kosher sort of fairy folklore here, but I, I think... Um, the, the idea of the fairy pools is a lovely one, though. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing about it is that the reason it's so magical is because of the way the water winds through the landscape and because of the sound of it, too. So you keep coming across it and having to go across stepping stones like the ones we've just passed. And you can hear the... It's the noise, I think, of the water, the sound of the water that gives you the image of magic in your, in your mind. It does, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's very musical, actually. It's very rhythmic. So will you sing one more song for us? Yeah, I what? will, yeah. Um, I'll sing this song um, that I recorded on a couple of albums ago. It's, it's called My Duncan Went to the Hill and I Never Returned. I'm going Is there a strain of melancholy in Gaelic songs? You, you know, are you on, constantly finding yourself singing tragic stories? Yeah, definitely. And I think I kind of, I tend to go for those ones I, in, in Gaelic and in English as well. You know, I, I think, if it, you know, often that's where the most interesting story is. <laughs> do, but do you have any happy ones? I do, yeah. Um, I suppose the, the Gaelic pushtabule tradition, um, the, the mouth music, uh, which is traditionally used for dancing, they're usually pretty happy, quite often not making a huge amount of sense, but they're usually pretty happy songs. And you did one of those at the old end, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, so Megan and I did a kind of marathon set. So it's they're, they're always sort of Strasbourg's reels, jigs, you know, different kinds of dance tunes. Uh, and we did, yeah, we did quite a few of them. Yeah, it was really good fun. <laughs> Feeling through the night, feeling through the night, 
Rachel, thank you so much for walking with us and for sharing your extraordinary music with us in this beautiful landscape. Oh, thank you, it's been a total pleasure. Thanks very much. Rachel Newton walking and talking and playing on the Isle of Skye. And we took advantage of being here for the Small Halls Festival to record two bonus episodes with two other wonderful musicians who we met on the tour of the Small Halls on this beautiful island. So they're coming up very soon, so watch out for them. And if you want to hear about another project that Rachel was involved in, the Lost Words Spell Songs project, there's a special episode of Folk on Foot about that, featuring the singer, ukulele player Beth Porter and the artist Jackie Morris walking in Wales. Do have a listen to that and have a listen to all the back catalogue of Folk on foot with so many amazing artists and so many spectacular locations. We are going to make season five. It'll be coming up in the summer and we need your help to do it. We need your donations to help us keep making these glorious episodes of Folk on Foot. So please become a patron. All you have to do is go to our website at folkonfoot.com, click on the support us button and follow the simple instructions. Your donations make this possible. Above all, thank you very much for listening to Folk on Foot. Stay tuned to the podcast we love. <laughs> <laughs>